Hello and welcome to another episode of the Women Who Sport podcast. This week on the podcast we're chatting to Steph Reid who is a Paralympian. She competes in the long jump for GB. She's got a really cool story and we're really excited about sharing it. A big thank you to our two sponsors who have supported us this whole series, uh, this being the last episode, and that is Lockstash Rugby and Boob Armour. So Boob Armour are an Aussie-based company. They make chess guards for high impact sport they're really cool you can check them out on instagram or on their website and locker stash rugby sell pre-owned rugby kit again they're really big on instagram so you can find them there this week our intro is a little bit different because basically bonner who usually joins me and does episode with me has joined the raf and we weren't organized enough to do it beforehand but lucky for us flo williams from the perception agency has stepped in um, so we're going to do our usual roundup of the week, but instead of doing the week as nothing's happened because it's been Christmas, uh, we're going to just have some like highlights and lowlights of 2020. So Flo, do you want to kick off with some highlights? Some highlights of 2020. Okay. Which was a big year for you, so you should have absolute <laughs> loads. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it was all about me. No, um, <clears throat> Obviously, like the highlights in 2020 were relatively few and far between but um i do think 2020 was definitely a year where the playing field was slightly leveled between men's and women's sport like everybody was doing burpees in their lounge it wasn't it wasn't someone like the men were playing in stadiums with 80,000 people like everybody was either playing in empty stadiums or having to train from home or doing zoom analysis so it was actually quite insightful to see a lot of people in the same boat Nevertheless, we still got an opportunity to go out there and play and um, the the likes of the Women's Champions League getting sponsored by Pepsi, Gatorade and Walker's Crisp was still a huge win for 2020. The Brazilian national football team announcing equal pay um, for both men's and women's sides and England women who then sort of popped their head up and went, oh yeah, we've been doing equal pay for um, England football between men and women for like the last year. I'm not really sure why they didn't say that any sooner, but... um, (laughs) pretty cool to get those headlines in 2020 and I think with everything that happened the opportunity to get those headlines out there actually like everything was quiet um these things sort of came to the forefront and equality amongst um the sexes definitely got a little bit of news which is always good kind of on a similar note on the like one of the things that I had down was like playing at Loughborough and I don't know if this is going to be really controversial but when we play on the same day as the men we're in the shit changing rooms like we've not got the priority times and stuff even though we're in a much higher division like we're the second string team so actually because only prem rugby was going ahead we've been the priority team and i think that's been a big step forward even though that's only come from like the men not being able to play yeah it felt like for once being at the top we actually felt like we were at the top rather yeah. than when it, it's premiership women's rugby but if you convert that into men's it's probably like nat three and it's like well actually no the only people that were playing were the elite teams which were premiership women and premiership men which is actually really cool finally to sort of be recognized at that same level I mean by no means is it fair across the board but it was cool that when they said elite they sort of stuck to elite and it's they treated us how they should have treated us with that league representation oh agreed 100 um, percent and 
yeah I know that you're not going to mention all the cool things you've done but like I do think the Enough campaign was a massive win this year like getting Canterbury to change your policy was huge and alongside that like Adidas have now put rugby on the female section of their website whereas it wasn't at the start of the year um, and as well Jacinda messaged you so like yeah honestly I did a, I, I had a little pop at um, Adidas because when they announced their teams for the Women's World Cup draw um, Jacinda did like an unreal speech and one thing I noticed in that speech was she didn't call it the Women's Rugby World Cup once she just said the Rugby World Cup which I absolutely loved and I do hate saying women's sport and women's rugby but sometimes like you sometimes you need to because people are like what, what are you talking about um, and she didn't say women's once and I just loved like she's obviously done that on purpose anyway she did a great speech and then she said during the speech and I hope the stadiums will be packed with fans wearing widely available black ferns kit and I was like I'm just gonna check that just because that's the sort of person I am and at the time when I checked it there were five items under black ferns kit on the adidas website three of them were scarves like that's not a rug just because it's a scarf like, oh women yeah women wear scarves we'll just put it and I was like no that's not right and now there's a playing jersey, a t-shirt and like a kid's top or something. It's still like four items or something. And the under the All Blacks, there's like 150. So I yeah, had a little bit of a pop at that because I was like, it doesn't seem widely available. And then um, she replied to someone who shared it and was like, yeah, I'm going to keep fighting the fight. And I was like, oh my God, my life is made it. Yeah, no, that is so cool. If we go on to low lights, so I had... So again, I don't know if this is controversial, but obviously it's amazing that our league has gone, gone ahead and that's been so good, but like there hasn't been any testing mm. at all. And I think as a result of that, like it has been a bit of a mess some week. If it's going to go ahead in these times, I think testing needs to be happening on a regular basis. Yeah. And again, I'm with you. I'm so grateful that our league continued and we were considered elite enough to keep playing during this time. But it feels like we sort of slipped through the net because it's like, oh, well, they're elite sports, so they're tested so they can go through it. It's a bit like, oh, we're actually not. And with the games being cancelled and then half the team not being available or are being available, et cetera, it kind of devalues the sport because it's like if we want to put ourselves on that platform to be visible, we want to give the best version of ourselves. And I think it's borderline damaging when games are getting cancelled all the time because it makes us look a little bit amateur. And I'm like we are a little bit amateur but let's not let anybody else know that you know like if if our games are being streamed again that's a huge highlight from 2020 because no one can come to the games all of the games or most of the games are being streamed every single week there is a stream and some weeks there is literally no other rugby on tv in the whole world apart from our games which is again a massive opportunity to increase that viewership and really sell it whether those broadcast streams have been advertised and promoted in the best way they possibly can by the RFU or Premier 15s is another question because I don't think the RFU have even mentioned it. But anyway, it could have been a really big opportunity for them to go look at this rugby available to watch every single week for the first time ever. And with those stats, you actually have something tangible to sell to sponsors and to bro- and onto broadcast deals when you say, look, we're getting... 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 views every week on Facebook. Imagine if you put this on a, a free for view channel or if you imagine if you put this on BT Sport or something like that, how much more the viewership would increase. Again, it's not really happened, but uh, it's one step on the ladder because the games are being streamed. Maybe they'll advertise it better next time. Yeah, for sure. And as well, I think even like from the first week to the last week, so many more clubs are streaming their own games as well, which is a massive yeah. step forward because we can actually see three or four games every week instead of last yeah. season especially it was one a week actually exactly. last season it wasn't even one a week it was like one every three weeks it was 
Yeah, there would be like four weeks on the bounce, you'd get a stream and then there'd be nothing. And now I'm like, oh my God, as if I can't watch all the games from the yeah. week. Even if you think about that, it's like shit, that progression is massive. Like a few years ago, it was the Prem final was streamed and that was it. And everyone was like, shit, it's going to be on TV or like it's going to be on a stream. This is absolutely nuts. And now it's like, why can't I watch Sale versus DMP? I need to watch this game. Like we're getting stressed about it. And I think that is a huge step forward. And if you think like what will happen next year, maybe there will be sponsors involved with the streams and then the stream quality will get better. And it's all going in the right direction, 100%. Yeah, for sure. And it's real cool that, yeah, we're complaining about those things now, which a couple of years ago we would have been so excited about. Like, we are exactly. absolutely moving in the right direction. But that's the thing, like, never be, never sit back and be like, oh, yeah, we're good now. Let's stop. Like, be grateful for it, but we'll still push for more. Like, it's good that we are still being a little bit critical because we only got to where we got to by being a bit critical. Why can't we watch it? Okay, now we're watching it. Okay, why aren't we watching more or on TV or et cetera? Yeah, 100%. Uh, do you have any other like low lights to add? Okay, yeah. The um, ruthless social media trolling of women in sport, I think actually sometimes it's actually getting more. Um, unfortunately, because someone you give someone a Twitter account and suddenly they grow 10 feet tall and think they can say anything to anyone. And most of the time, the reason that they're criticizing someone is because they're a woman first. And even yesterday, so yesterday, the Telegraph released the um, top 10 female players in the world right now. And the replies on Twitter were like all very supportive and great, but the replies on the actual Telegraph website, which are a little, those comments are a little bit harder to view. Uh, there was like 10 or 12 comments and nine of them were sexist. And it's like, that just shows how much of a problem we still have. So the comments were, who cares? Or they're all butch or let them play against the men. One was something about, oh, women are playing rugby now. Good for them. Or what about football? Oh, wait, they're already doing that in the US or something. And it's like, what is wrong with people that as soon as they see that it's a woman, they're instantly like, I have the right to say this to you because you're a woman. And they ignore what you've done and what you've achieved or your credentials but they just see woman first okay I can slate you and it's like and with the Karen Carney stuff that happened the week before what Leeds did it's still a huge problem that on social media especially because you can see it there people still feel the right to act sexist towards people just because they're a woman not because of anything they've done but you're a woman so I can say this. Oh, it's actually mad. And it's mad that people like take time out of their day to like set yeah. their computers and comment things like that. I know. And it's like, is it sometimes I think, oh, should I really be giving these people airtime by replying to it? But the more that you don't call them out, other people will see it. And if they've maybe got those subconscious thoughts as well, they'll be like, oh, he said it. So yeah, I'll like that. Or that's funny. Or I'll add one just because he's done it. And or loads of other people have done it. So it doesn't matter if I do it too. But if you make a point of calling them out, then maybe somebody else who's looking at that will go, shit, actually, yeah, I agree. That's not right. You can't say that. And like silence is compliance. So I do think it's still important to say, shut the fuck up occasionally because otherwise well, nothing's ever going to change. Yeah, like that's such a good point. And when men are doing that, do they even realise like the impact that it has on yeah. individuals and women's sport? Exactly. And I think it's, it's really important whether it comes from an individual or from a brand or um, a sporting organisation. Once you say those things and even sometimes it's not you maybe they've not said something actively sexist but they've done a sponsorship deal but they've only sponsored the men and not the women 
that's st that's still on like airing on the side of maybe you shouldn't be doing that and once you've done something like that as female athletes like we, we won't forget that it's a bit like okay you've kind of ruined that relationship slightly like I'm emotionally emotionally I'm not really gonna want to be friends with you or if you're a brand I don't really want to associate with your brand or as a sport like Leeds United I have literally no opinions of Leeds United until last week and now I think that's worse and it's a bit like you can really ruin things quite quickly like that. So it's it's no longer sort of like, oh, we'll just sweep it under the carpet and being sexist or being racist or being homophobic. Like it, with social media, it does get remembered. It, shit like that does go viral and it's it can be really damaging. So I think it's important for brands to be more socially responsible with what they're saying and what they're doing because it's as important as ever to be representing everyone in your audience. Don't just appeal to white men because there are 3.6 billion women in the world so it's kind of stupid to ignore them like um pro direct we have both completely turned oh, our back on and not I, um <laughs> given the time of day since by perching the boots yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah i'm like i hate you but, but they're so price? cheap i don't, don't want to look are they half price <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, I, I fuck me. I really want Pro Direct to bite so bad. What is wrong with men? They don't boots? care. They literally don't care. It's like at Flo Williams, men's boots. What the fuck is this? Also at Flo Williams. Yes, I'll have those Adidas sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, Fine, they're in the sale. Here? And why are they so yeah. much cheaper than everyone else, but also so morally corrupt? Yeah, I. Uh, or they'll do like, look, we have got a women's section. It's like some V-neck fit international shirt, and it's like women don't like that. Like. Why it's like oh women's fit v neck and crop sleeves like we don't yeah. that's don't just call it women and I presume we've all got cleavage because yeah don't. like I got my kit from work today and I got all the women's fitted kit and it's literally like flared joggy bottoms I'm like I am not wearing them <laughs> I'm not gonna I, like, put them cool on sleeves and you like hanging yeah. out the bottom of it and you're like cool In a v neck <laughs> yeah I oh I hate it oh um, yeah that life so I guess what's um, next for the perception agency in 2021. Oh God, loads of things I hope. Now I think I wanna carry on with these sort of like social interest campaigns, like highlighting things that um, could be maybe done differently or done better. Like I don't wanna be that person who just moans about stuff because I don't wanna be negative all the time. I wanna sort of highlight maybe disparity or inequalities, but then offer a solution as well. So I would like to, like what I did with Canterbury, maybe work more with brands or governing bodies to increase what they're doing so that we don't end up in situations where we have been before. I'd like to, I've got a couple ideas of some campaigns that I would like to launch with brands on side as well that I think would really go far to changing the perception of women's sport. Like I want change to happen and I'm sort of sick of talking about change. I want to try and do a little bit more active stuff with that. So yeah, watch this space. I've got a few ideas coming, but um, yeah. I'm excited. I think you're somebody that's like 2020 was it's going to be a memorable year because yeah. of like you achieved so much in it, which is really cool. Well, it was nice. Um, I think situations are what you make of it. And I know that, I mean, you can't really control a lot of what's happening, but OK, 2020 actually gifted us a lot of time to reflect and think about what we're doing and time to actually step back from fucking rushing around all the time. So if you use that time well, you can make the best of what you're given. And for me, like I spent a lot of time thinking about what do I want to do with my work and where do I want to change things, et cetera. So that's what I put my effort into. And I think 
a lot of businesses will come out the back of it. Whoever does the best during this time will go into the real world flying. Whereas if you sort of just lay in your pool of Netflix and chill, then um, you're probably not going to do much else. Yeah, love it. Um, right, sweet. Thank you so much for coming on. I thought Easy. that was going to be like 10 minutes and we've <laughs> made a half hour. Um, yeah, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. And yeah, we'll uh, get Sharon Martin on again. Like, big thanks to her for letting us use our music for the podcast and then in the episode of Step. Okay, so we're going to just start with uh, you and, and asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself because kind of after doing a bit of research, you're born in New Zealand, you've got a Scottish dad, an English mum, you've lived in Canada, USA, and we believe you used to play rugby. So let's just settle it. If you were to play rugby for a nation, who would you play for? Oh gosh, you've just dove, dove in there, haven't you? <laughs> well, do you know what? So my, um, I I started playing rugby in Canada and I was really lucky just in that I was in a big city in Toronto and our PE teacher happened to have played rugby um, at quite a high level. And so she started a women's team. And my original goal was I wanted to go back to New Zealand for university and and play there and, and just kind of, you know, in my mind, New Zealand was like, you know, king of rugby and I was good in Canada but I wanted to know okay am I just kind of am I good in this you know small network or am I am I actually good on a world stage so uh, I think yeah if you were asking 15 year old me I probably would have played for New Zealand if I could oh. I know <laughs> I have to be honest though <laughs> you do and to be fair the current world champ so not a bad team to play for <laughs> fair enough but yeah I know everyone the first question is always so where is your accent from but I feel like you yeah you did research you you nailed that <laughs> that's cool so how long have you been in the UK now then so I um I moved so I mostly grew up in Toronto uh, my my family moved there when I was um four for my dad's job so I grew up there went to uni there um ended up marrying um well my husband Brent who was from the French part of Canada but he was actually living in Dallas Texas um he was there on a on a sports scholarship and then started working there so I lived in Dallas for a few years but from uh, 2010 um I was I was based in in the UK so I've been here oh gosh yeah more than a decade now whoa that's mental <laughs> it's cool that you've traveled around so much and, and do you think that's like is that because of your sport or has that helped your sport? Um, I think initially it, it was actually just kind of down to my parents. Um, so my my mum is English, my dad's Scottish, and they both, they met because they both worked in the hospitality industry and their absolute dream was to travel the world. And they wanted to see everything, experience everything. And, you know, they, they took some awesome jobs. And part of the reason I was born in New Zealand was because they just happened to be on contract at a hotel out there. And so I think it was probably them that just really instilled that um, that global awareness, that global bug, that desire just to see everything and experience everything that you can. And, and that's just kind of filtered over. So when and where did you start or take up athletics? So 
I took up athletics quite late in life, actually. Um, I was quite old by athletic standards. Uh, I mean, I really didn't start until my early 20s. Not to say that I wasn't, I wasn't athletic. Um, I just played different sports. And um, I, I grew up playing. I mean, I just, I just loved everything. I, anything my school offered, I was there. And so um, basketball, volleyball, cross country, tennis, swimming. And then um, when I was 13, that was when I was first introduced to rugby and just absolutely fell in love because for me, that was probably, and still is the sport that perfectly showcases my full talents as, as an athlete. Yeah, it is such a good sport. And the thing we love about it, we spoke about on like previous pods is that there's a position for everyone, no matter what skill or talent you can bring to the team, there'll be a position for you. Oh, that's so true. So I, I was a scrum half, although I probably, I mean, I loved the position because you kind of get to control lots of the play, but equally, I just wanted to score. So I was more than happy just to be, you know, down down the line a bit farther. But um, yeah, I think actually, I'd be curious to find out um, from the two of you, I think the thing that really just drew me to rugby as I just, I had never been introduced to a sport where it was totally fine and acceptable as a female to just let out all your aggression and just to, you know, go for it. And tackling was a totally new experience for me because, you know, I was kind of raised, you know, you know, girls, we don't fight. We're not that aggressive. And I was just like, this was amazing. Um, what was it like for both of you when you, when you first discovered it? Uh, so I, a bit like you transferred into rugby while well, kind of with your athletics transferred into it quite late. I used to row and play netball before um and only picked it up kind of at the back end of university and was just like this is amazing it got recommended to me um by an England player at the time because I was struggling with rowing and she was like you would love rugby um just kind of like being around people and things and the first like training session I just remember coming from rowing especially one of the other girls was like oh you just got trainers I've got a spare pair of boots what size are you and that small thing, I was like, whoa, like this would never happen in the rowing world at all. Like you're really generous. And even the training was so varied and I just loved it. I love what you said there about, cause coming from, a, I went from a team sport to an individual sport. Sarah, you kind of went from a, um, an individual sport to a team sport and you're right. The dynamic is just, it's different, isn't it? Oh, completely different. Really, really different. So what was it then that, got you into the team sport no sorry that got you into an individual sport and what was it that made you think actually I'm going to go for a long jump um so okay wow that is that's going to be a long answer I'm going to I'm going to cut it down for you though so so basically um I um was loving rugby and had decided that right this is this is just this is it for me and I'm going to be an international rugby superstar that was 13 year old me and you know I went for it and um, actually when I was 15 I had caught the eye of some of the national coaches in Canada and well I was still far too small to to join you know the women's team um, you know it just kind of felt like wow like this actually you know could be a possibility this is what I want to do this is what I want to work for and that summer um, was the summer that everything changed for me in a lot of ways um, I was up at a friend's cottage for a bank holiday weekend and um, we had a great time. Their, their cottage is on the lake and they had a boat. And just before I was about to head back home, we decided to go tubing uh, one last time, which uh, tubing is where you attach a rubber inner tube to the back of a speedboat. And, and you know, you just go flying across the water. 
and there had been a miscommunication between the spotter and the driver of the boat. I had hit a wave and had fallen off and I was waiting in the water for the boat to come back and pick me up. And um, I mean, I saw the boat coming initially and, and didn't think much of it, but unfortunately the driver wasn't aware that I was in the water and, and not still on the tube. And so he wasn't really watching for me and just by coincidence happened to be coming over the same place. And um, I mean, I soon realized, you know, he's coming way too fast and, and, you know, you just kind of switch into, right, what are my survival options? Because I really need to miss those propellers. And, and I didn't, I didn't panic, to be honest, I was a great swimmer. And I just thought, okay, well, you know, I don't actually have enough time to swim to either side. Um, I'll get caught, I'll still get caught in the toe and probably sucked into the propellers. Um, but instead, um, what I'll do is I will surface dive, I'll get as far below the water as possible. I'll hold my breath, a boat will pass, this is all gonna be fine. And I mean, this all happened in like, you know, I don't know, split second. So um, I went to surface dive and unfortunately just totally forgot I had a life jacket on. And um, and it was just, it, it was too late and, and the boat was there. And um, um, it was just, we. I, I just remember at some point just, um, you know, thinking I, I need to get back to the surface because I, I'm out of breath. And um, I surfaced again, not really sure what had happened. Part of me just thought, wow, like this has been incredibly lucky. And um, maybe don't mention this to your parents on the way home. They'll never let you leave again. But then I kind of realized that something was really wrong and um, I didn't feel right. And unfortunately the boat had caught me on my, on my lower back and, and my right leg. And, um, and it was quite serious. Uh, we were, we were, you know, miles away from a half decent hospital and, and I needed help pretty quickly. So that was kind of the starting point, and um, that was quite sobering, and and that was quite difficult because, I mean, I look back now, and, and I'm so th I, I was so incredibly lucky. Uh, the surgeon did an amazing job, and um, I I am aware of how lucky I was aware of how lucky I was to be alive. But um, unfortunately, the the surgeon wasn't able to save all of my right leg, and and was forced to amputate, and. You know, for a girl whose dream it was to be an international rugby superstar, um, you know, your first thought is, well, how am I going to do that if I, I can't even walk, let alone run? And actually, I'm not really sure that I want to carry on without this dream because this just seems unbelievably unfair. So that was kind of the starting point. Um, and I actually, um, I mean, I'm, I'm skipping a lot here, but... To be honest, the reason I ended up in an individual sport in the end was I did go back to rugby after the accident. And um, it was difficult. Um, it was uncomfortable because, you know, it was just, it's really hard to learn how to run. Feet are amazing. They distribute pressure and force. And I'm now having to run on bones and skin that were never designed to do that. And, and it took my body time and it was super uncomfortable initially. But the hardest thing on the rugby field, which I'm sure you guys can relate to, was just more than anything with an artificial leg, you lose your agility more than your speed. So whereas before, you know, I could run from end to end on the field, um, you know, I could slip through gaps, no problem. And I just didn't have it anymore. And um, playing games was hard because I still played as a person I thought I was. <laughs> and so I was just getting, you know, slammed and tackled constantly. And it just wasn't fun. But the worst part was, I just felt like I was letting the team down all the time. And, and I just felt like, 
I don't know. It was just hard. I didn't, it, it wasn't that I didn't feel like I belonged out there. It was just all too much too early. And so actually going to an individual sport, athletics, I had no kind of baggage. Um, I did do it beforehand. It was a fresh start. It was just me. If, if I did well, great. If I didn't, that was okay because I wasn't, I wasn't ruining anyone else's opportunity. So that's how I ended up um, in, a, in an individual sport. God, I didn't know that you Whoa. went back to rugby. Like, that is incredible. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? It's just, it's hard. You love something so much. And, and for me, there was just, there was literally nothing better than, you know, running up the field with a ball in your arms, you know, being chased by people who literally, you know, just want to tear that ball from you. I just loved it. And, um, and I think I just, the only way to move on was just to convince myself, okay, I've given it a hundred percent. This isn't for me anymore, but equally, um, you know, that doesn't mean life ends. It doesn't mean your goals end. I was still the same person. I just needed a new outlet now. So fortunately, athletics kind of filled that that outlet. I love that. And I think something that you've said in an in interview before is that like the difference between an able-bodied person and somebody with a disability is a split second. And yeah, like that's it's so true in your story. And yeah, I think we probably all need to take for granted what we can do. Yeah, I mean, I, I have huge sympathies because I feel like I've kind of lived my life, you know, kind of on, on both, you know, sides of the divide, um, you know, growing up as, as an able-bodied, um, completely oblivious to the world of disability and what inclusion looks like and thinking, oh, it doesn't apply to me because I'm not disabled. And then becoming disabled, realizing you're right, this can happen to anyone at any time. And now suddenly it means a lot to me, um, but it's just kind of bridging that gap and um, helping people understand, um, you know, we're not, we're, we're not different. We're not all that different, um, even though the particulars of our lives might be a bit different. So you're now a full-time athlete. What does your typical athletics week look like? Your training week and I guess we'll do like a pre-lockdown, pre-COVID and a COVID training week. Honestly, I can't even remember like life before COVID. It's been, you know, feels that far and that long removed. It does. Um, do you know what? I mean, being an athlete is is awesome. Um, it's it's weird though. I, I would never say that I was a full time athlete because then sometimes people have this vision of you training like literally forty five hours a week, which um, all sports are different. But you actually can't do that for athletics because everything. Well, not if you are in a power event like sprinting or long jumping because everything that you do has to be, um, you know, at or close to maximal effort and you can't do that all day long. So just keeping things, you know, real and realistic. Um, it probably is between about three to five hours of training every day, which includes your warm up, includes your session, includes your prehab, um, sometimes some, some physio. So, um, the reality is, you know, that does actually leave quite a bit of space in the rest of your week, which is a good thing because, um, I mean, huge progress has been made, but um, Paris, Paralympic sport, Paris sport is not is not professional. Uh, most of us have other things that we do and, and other jobs. Um, so my typical week on a track, I will normally do between probably about seven sessions um, in total. So I will do three to four sessions on the track and then three to four sessions in, in the gym. Um, and then maybe a little bit of um, prehab and swimming around that uh recently um in COVID it's been a lot more Zumba uh which has been interesting <laughs> my Latin hip roll needs a lot of work but we're getting there um and then in and around that um I have a few other roles um I, I do work as a as a speaker um and and so um 
get the chance. Well, actually, it, it's a variety of things. Often companies are really interested partially just in an inspirational speech, but now health and well-being and, and resilience and those sort of things. And so that, that, that's great to weigh in on that from an athlete perspective. And um, I do a little bit of work in sport governance um, with youth athletics. Yeah, I was actually having a conversation with a teammate this week about actually some of the positives of us not being fully professional or just having sport, um, especially when you've picked up a, a wee injury or you're kind of having a bit of a dip in performance, whatever it may be, having that focus outside of sport or your job to go to is like a really welcome distraction from it. So even though at times I can find myself thinking, oh, it'd be great to be full time, actually I'm like, mm, it's maybe a silver lining at times. I did it for a year and I hated it. Um, it was yeah. just, it was awful. Like you say, I mean, and also actually for me, and, and my coach has this term, which he calls uh, positive distractions. For me, it's actually a performance advantage to have a distraction because I am a bit of an obsessive personality. And so yeah. like if I went and had a session and I mean, I would just sit and think about it all day and think about what can I do better? What can I do worse? To the point where you've just killed it. And, yeah. and you know, you, you go back and it, it's just, there is such a thing as too much. And so, yeah, for me to have something else to do, another avenue to grow in, something else to worry about, at least kind of takes my mind off all of the stresses of, of athletics. Actually, the advice I always give to athletes when they're first starting out or, you know, first turning professional is make a list right now of everything that you're going to do when you're injured. And I do mean when, because it's inevitable. You know, you're pushing the limit and the only way to find it is to kind of go over that edge a few times. Um, but if you have that list immediately, you can start on it right away. And um, I think it's just better overall in terms of coping, coping mechanisms. That is a really good piece of advice. That's, um, that'll be our post-podcast homework. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I still have one going. Um, because actually, well, you'll make the list and then you'll realize um, some of the things actually will need a little bit of lead time. And if you take care of that now, then again, when you're, you know, distressed and, and you know, and, and sad and the world's ending because you have to be out for three weeks, at least you can just hop on that. And, and it's brilliant. Oh, yeah, totally agreed. Um, and I guess continuing on from that, getting into athletics conversation, how come you chose to go with long jump? Uh, well, I mean, I'm totally biased, but it's clearly the most fun and exciting part of athletics. Um, do you know, I kind of fell into it. So I initially just did sprinting and, and I would compete in the 100, the 200 and, and the 400. And I was at a meet and I had finished all of those events and the long jump was happening. And I mean, one of the officials just said, oh, hey, Steph, you know, we have a spare spot in the long jump. Do you want to come? And I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty fun. And I, I mean, I, I had never done it. Um, actually, that's not true. I think I did it as an eight year old at a school sports day. But um, I just thought, oh, why not? So. Um, I signed up and I went for my first jump and everyone was a little bit surprised initially one because my natural instinct apart from training or anything else was to take off my blade which everyone was like that's never going to work that's a terrible idea um, but the second thing was it was actually really natural to me and they're like oh you're actually um, quite good at it and and I look back now and, and I think it probably it, it is just a better it the event for me is just suited better. One, because it actually favors, again, agility over speed, you know, pure raw speed, pure raw power. Um, 
you know, it was just, it's never been my strong suit. You know, no one has ever, no coach has ever looked at me and been like, wow, that is a physical specimen. Um, that's just <laughs> not me. Um, but actually I'm quite agile and I learn really well. I pick up technique well, and the long jump is just a bit more suited to that. Plus two other really important things. One, I mean, the long, or the hundred meters is over in, you know, you know, just a few seconds. And so I just feel like with the long jump, it can take up to, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. So you get to one, just enjoy the audience better. And two, it's that event where, you know, you can get the crowd involved, you get some clap going. I was going to say, <laughs> you chose long jump for the hype at the start. Totally. All long jump is just get the crowd going, they're cheering. That's why, that's the real reason, isn't it? Honestly, it's so good. Actually, the, the very... The very the reason I started doing that was because, um, as I said, you know, I, I could be quite intense and quite into my head. And I'll never forget, you know, years ago, um, my coach we were at a meet and, and I think he just knew I was really nervous and stressed out about trying this new long jump technique we've been working on. And so he just said after my first jump, OK, on your next one, I need you to go back to the start. And before you jump, get the crowd going. And I'm like, Brett, I can't do that. Like, what if I start clapping? and nobody else claps, I'm going to look like such a loser. You're and, a high man. <laughs> I know. But I realized now, I went back to the start line, so worried about being a loser, that I totally just wasn't stressing out about my jump at all. And then, you know, the crowd is going, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing and so fun. And I jumped really well. And so it's kind of stuck around since then. That's really cool. I got to work at British Champs this year as, a, like, a biomechanist when Steph was jumping, which was, like, so cool to to kind of see you do it up close and it was interesting because they obviously because there was no crowds they had like fake clapping noise on um, and then athletes would be like getting the pretend crowd clap but like, <laughs> not in time with their claps and then some athletes were like oh could you get them to turn that off like yes yeah, COVID has definitely changed things up it has and actually the nice thing was is um because we all realized okay we're going to get no feedback a lot of the girls were just on the sidelines cheering for each other um you know which which was quite nice but yeah actually it was super cool having you there Rhoda and I'm like oh I mean I know she's working but it's nice to have some some support <laughs> close it made by. me feel cool because you and Naomi were both jumping and I was like I know them <laughs> <laughs> wait Penny's just dropped here Rona is it Steph that you sometimes sweep the the long jump pit for not while Steph's jumping, but in between her sessions, yeah. I feel like I'm actually, I'm kind of known there as a person that like takes the most sand out of the pit. Only it's so, it's so unintentional, but sometimes when I'm jumping, um, a lot of the sand gets caught in my artificial leg. And so there's just sand like everywhere. Everyone usually knows, yeah, Steph's been jumping today. Keep note of that for next time it's a mess. <laughs> um, so getting into long jump then. So I guess you had your accident, went back to rugby. So was athletics like a bit of a savior in terms of like that sport and energy you had, you could then channel it into somewhere where there was the potential to be really successful? Yeah, it was. It was kind of um, like after the accident, there was just a lot of hard work that had to be done in terms of, you know, as you know, when, when you're an athlete, it absorbs so much of your identity. And um, I remember like the, one of the things I was most worried about going back to school was you know, is anyone going to like me anymore? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I can't, I can't win games for you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be that athlete. And it was just this question of like, oh my goodness, like, I don't actually know what I have to give as a person apart from that. And that was probably the scariest thing. And, and also one of the best things to work through as a 15 year old. And, and, and in many ways, I'm so thankful that I had to deal with some of those hard questions early, just because 
it really, really reinforced for me, even at a really difficult stage in life, this is what matters to me. This is what matters in life. And this is how I'm going to, going to live. And um, I think one of the things I had to come to terms with and just really realize um, I, I could have lost every single limb in that accident and I still would have been the same person. You know, the number of limbs did not dictate who I was in terms of, you know, I always, um, I always was competitive. I always will be competitive. That's just me. You know, I'm still going to be someone who wants to work hard, who wants to have an adventure, who, who wants to, um, you know, move forward and grow. And it was just process of realizing, okay, sport may not be for me. And that sucks, but that's okay. I can still find other outlets for these things. And probably in the first three or four years, that is mostly what I did. One, you know, as I said, I, I just needed to give my body time to heal and, um, you know, learn to walk first and then, and then, you know, focus on the running and that sort of thing. But even then I found um, I could kind of channel all that competitive energy and time and that I would used to spend practicing into academia, into schoolwork. And, and I realized, you know, I really enjoyed that. And um, another competitive outlet was um, the trivia team. Not quite the same as, you know, the rugby field. As you can see, I was incredibly cool in high school. And, um, but even then, it, it was awesome. And I loved it and met this whole group of people in this whole new world that I never would have found. And uh, was able to join the drama club, which, you know, as you've known from the long jump and the clapping, um, I've always really enjoyed performance. And that was just a great outlet. Again, I'd never been able to explore. And then you kind of look back now and just seeing some of the roles and things that I do, I think like how amazing to have had two years to kind of learn what it takes to stand up in front of a crowd and be okay and be comfortable with that and, and speaking. So I think initially it was just, I, I actually didn't have sport at all on the radar and I had let it go. And then when I was in university, um, that was when, it just all kind of coincided with the time that um, I was much, uh, I was in a much better position physically and, and mentally. And um, I'd been given my first actual running blade. And so I was actually, oh, actually, I, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fast. Um, and that was also, you know, it also just perfectly matched with the time when um, I had always been really embarrassed about the fact, not Actually, no, it's true. I was embarrassed by the fact that I was an amputee and, and um, I would never really share it. And it was actually the running that just transformed me from, you know, being somebody that, you know, I had friends in university who had known for three years who still didn't know I was an amputee because you can't really tell if, if I've got a pair of trousers on. But I went from this girl that would hide it to suddenly this person that was like, yeah, I'm going to order it in hot pink and everyone should stare at it because it is super cool. So in many ways, yeah, sport was kind of that part of coming full circle and, and, you know, that whole healing process, which, which did take a really long time. God, I love that. That's so cool. Like hot pink prosthetics, I think is, that is future, isn't it? Like the, what is Morgan totally. O'Power? <laughs> totally I mean, if I could bedazzle it, I would. <laughs> That's what I reckon Tokyo would go like full sparkly. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So as a long jumper, you've competed at well, medaled at two Olympic Games, which is, yeah, incredible. And then I'm guessing you've got your focus set on Tokyo now. I do, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not retired yet. <laughs> I love that you checked. I thought you were going to make a big announcement there. Yeah, so now you've got your um, yeah focus set on Tokyo. So how was that experience of competing at Paralympic Games? And I guess what are your sights set on going forward into next year? I mean, it... The parallel, they're just, they've been awesome. Um, my very first games was in Beijing in, in 2008. And then obviously London 2012, Rio 2016, Beijing. And, and it's just, it's amazing how 
every single one is different and it's different partly because obviously the environment and the city is different but it's different because you are a different person you're, you're not the same person who shows up to each each games and so 2008 was you know amazing um i was totally new didn't know anything i mean literally my job was just to go there and and have an experience and to learn something and uh, you know there were highs and lows uh, actually there were extreme highs and extreme lows there but i managed to come away with the bronze medal that was uh, nobody really expected and and so that was that was pretty cool and then obviously london 2012 home olympics and um challenges totally different in that i wasn't new anymore this is my second time around I was expected to perform, and not only that, I was I was a home athlete, and so and oh, and I had sponsors for the first time, um, and and so it was just a totally new learning experience, trying to figure out how I'm going to deal with that. Um, there were a, for a few moments uh, <laughs> where, you know, you just think I just I can't do this, but I got through it, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. And then you come to Rio, and um, Again, this one's different. Okay, now you're a veteran. And, um, you know, I kind of already had in my head, okay, you know, bronze in Beijing, silver in London, you know, I mean, it's just, what a perfect story. Um, gold in Rio. Um, that clearly is how it should go. And, and, and again, this time in Rio, again, different situation. This time I was only doing the long jump and I had a lot on my plate. I was there to compete. And then the day after I competed, I was gonna switch over to the media side and work for Channel 4, which again, was just totally different stressors um and it was you know what I jumped well in Rio um I jumped the best I had ever jumped and I came second because the other girl was just better and that this just never happened before to me like usually if I had jumped at my best I would win and and that was a tough tough thing to accept and swallow and just realize actually sometimes in life you will do everything right you will show up the most prepared that you can be and someone is just better. And then you have to make a choice in terms of, okay, well, one, how are you going to view the situation? Was it a failure? Was it not? And two, are you going to go back and, and try and, and learn and improve? Or do you let it go? And, and both are great decisions, depending on where you're at. So again, Rio is totally different. And, and now coming into Tokyo, I mean, I, I don't even know what is a, what does an Olympics or Paralympics look like after a pandemic. Um, this is going to be a very different experience. And uh, one, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. But two, um, look, the reality is countries will come in at different levels of preparation. Parts of it will feel very unfair. Um, but, you know, that sport and the good thing is that we are there to celebrate um, the world, the coming together and um, all of the good things that we have missed the sport. Gosh, as if you'll be going to touch wood uh your fourth Paralympics that's crazy I know actually well my husband's going to this will be his fifth uh, my husband's also Whoa. an athlete and he was there in Athens in 2004 so um yeah it's wild that's Catherine Granger <laughs> territory that's oh oh no I wouldn't even put myself no 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 <laughs> different different <laughs> level oh but I appreciate it thank you and <laughs> <laughs> um, you kind of touched upon it about having your presenting and, and working for Channel 4 afterwards and these kind of like dual career options this is a bit off piece but on one of your online biographies in like a quick fire round you spent a year volunteering in like a maximal security prison please explain more this sounds so juicy <laughs> oh do you know it was it was so amazing so at the time I was going down quite an academic route and I was at school uh, studying biochemistry and um, just bizarrely, um, 
so Queen's University in Canada, it happens to be situated in a town um, that has just lots of maximum security. It's kind of like the prison capital of Canada. And so we had this absolutely amazing program that was run whereby university students would go in to the prisons that had schools and we would help tutor them. And um, it was just one of those things where I mean, I, I just, I, I had absolutely no context for what this would look like apart from, you know, what you see in films. And and part of it was just curiosity. And again, just that drive to, at the end of this all, um, you know, when my time ends, um, I just want to have like lived as many experiences as possible. So, and it was one of the best things ever. Um, my very first day I went in and I just kind of went in to get acquainted. And, um, you know, there wasn't much in the classroom and there wasn't really much in the agenda. And one of them suggested, well, why don't we play Scrabble? And, you know, me and my very boxed and thinking was like, yeah, you know, I probably got about 45 minutes to kick all your butts at Scrabble. Like, clearly, <laughs> I'm a university student. Um, I'm probably going to be pretty clever when it comes to this. And just, I mean, blown away by guys who couldn't even read, but, you know, had probably spent the past two years, all that they had in terms of reading was a Scrabble dictionary, memorized the entire dictionary, and we're just coming up with words. I'm like, oh, come on, that's not even a word. Oh, well, we'll bring out the dictionary. And, you know, it really was a brilliant lesson in humility um, in terms of life experience and, and you know, just kind of prejudging someone in a situation. And, and actually, the biggest thing that I turned, that I got from it was, um, there were some incredibly, incredibly gifted and intelligent people in that prison who unfortunately, because they'd had learning difficulties, perhaps, no, I do it, I wouldn't even call it that. They just didn't learn in a traditional way that you would see in a classroom. And, and so had never really had the opportunity to be successful in, in that way. And you just looked at like, wow, there's so much potential here if we can just rechannel it. And so, yeah, it, I think it changed actually, it, it changed the way that I looked at, at life and people and opportunity um, and whether or not there is equality in terms of opportunity, but it really did just change my view on life. So cool. Love it. And yeah, what a cool experience, I guess, like, as you say, like, appreciate that humility and connecting with people on that level. So and I always feel like we sound like stalkers when we ask all these really specific questions. Um, <laughs> no, I love, honestly, <laughs> like, there is nothing better and someone who has done their research and actually asks specific interesting questions. I like, this is great. <laughs> so I guess along those lines, can you tell us about the energy within? Because oh. we're yeah. sports star, movie star. <laughs> Literally. Have you, did you guys watch it? Or parts yeah, of it? Yeah, I did. It took that <laughs> 20 minutes to help my day, but it was so worth it. <laughs> Do you know what? I mean, that was on so many levels an absolute dream come true. Um, when I was maybe like five, six, seven, I would always, always beg my parents to take, I, I don't know why, I just wanted to be, a, you know, an athlete and an actress. And um, and I, one of my parents took me to auditions and, and they never did. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll do theater. And even though I could act, you know, I, I really couldn't sing and, um, you know, I wasn't a great dancer. So um, it was just a bit limited. And so it was just kind of that unfulfilled passion. And so when the opportunity came up, I absolutely jumped on it and again it was just this I think have you ever had something come up and your first thought is like oh man this is scary I should just say no and walk away from it whereas actually every time I get that feeling it's almost like no Stephanie go back because it's probably something like that you should do and you should take it on and so um it was just so this this director contacted me and um you know usually when someone contacts you like that you're kind of like oh this is never going to work out um he was just 
I, I said, fine, if you want to come up to Loughborough and um, we'll have a quick meeting about it. And this young guy showed up. No, um, you know, obviously movies are expensive to make. You need funders. We had none of that. And and this young guy shows up and I thought, oh, this is going nowhere. Um, you changed my mind, Sam, don't worry. <laughs> so, um, but I think what took me aback was just how on earth this young male had captured and understood so well what it felt like to be a young disabled female athlete and and I was kind of like I'm intrigued and so he took it away and and ended up finding um, people to, to sponsor and fund the movie so then their big question was okay this all sounds great but can Stephanie act which was the next question and so fortunately Sam you pulled was- out the big guns <laughs> Well, you know, I wish I wish we had footage of where I actually started <laughs> because it was just, you know, it, it was um, so the, the very first acting lesson Samuel gave me was um, we were just in, you know, in his office, in his apartment. And he's like, OK, I want you to pretend that you've got to leave in the next 20 seconds for a big meeting, but you're looking for your keys and you can't find them. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. And so then I'm like, you know, going around doing it. And he's like, can you just stop for a second? And I'm like, what? He's like, you like, you, you just picked up, um, you know, like that, the, uh, the really tiny phone headphones that you have, like you just picked up and looked under those headphones. Like clearly you would see if the keys were there, like this isn't real. So it was kind of embarrassing, but do you know what the best part was? Sometimes when you've done something for so long, um, like, you know, for example, long jump, if I show up, people expect me to long jump well, whereas I was in this position where it was just, it was okay to be terrible. And, and I just felt really free to learn and to explore and to be terrible and then correct it. And it was just, he just created this great environment where I wasn't afraid to try anything. I wasn't afraid of looking silly um, because nobody had an expectation of me. And it was just such a nice change. Yeah, it's so cool. Because I think as athletes, we're like, I don't know, used to being like good at something or mm. wanting to be good at something. No, it's true. But I actually think it, it can it can become to the point where it's an inhibitor of performance. And actually, it was something my coach Aston called me out on. And he just said, I can see you tense up when I ask you to do something. And we kind of both know it's not your strong suit. But, you know, to be a good performer, you've got to work on the things you're not so good at and not just the fun things you can do well. So I think it's it's a great performance enhancer. Do terrible things. <laughs> well, on that, I know, and I don't know if I'm going to totally embarrass you here, but I know that over lockdown, you were learning to sing. I'm, saying, I'm not, I'm not singing. <laughs> oh, no, no, you don't need to sing, but tell us about that because being able to sing is just my biggest dream and I'm terrible. Uh, do you well, know what That's the deepest voice. <laughs> Oh my, then you could totally do the Tony Braxton's. Oh man. So mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, so as I, I've already alluded to, yeah, couldn't sing, couldn't dance, but it's always been my dream to be able to, you know, be competent. I mean, I, I've given up on being Beyonce, but I just thought I would just like to be competent. And, and yeah, it was a perfect time. And um, I, I actually got in touch with um uh, her name's Layla. I, we actually met in 2018. Um, I was on vacation with my husband for our wedding anniversary and she was there with her family. And, and we just kind of kept in touch. And so uh, it was it was another example of, yeah, like I want to push myself and I want to, I want to go through that learning process of, okay, this is what I want to achieve. This is my starting point. I'm not good, but I want to be better. And I think sometimes um, it, it's tough as you get older. Um, you know, I'm 36 now and 
I, I think again, yeah, there's this expectation as you get older, you know, you become really dignified and you're good at things and you hold yourself well and you lose that freedom to actually just explore and, and make mistakes. And, and for me, singing was a reminder of that. And, oh, Layla, I'm so thankful that you were so encouraging and just, you know, so, um, I mean, she wasn't, she never gave me false, you know, false hope, <laughs> but, you know, she, she was honest. And actually what I learned was I thought I was tone deaf. I was not. I just had an untrained voice box. It's just a muscle. It's like anything. And once you train it, um, you know, I was actually, well, I would now say I can hit like 80% of notes, which is really good starting at about maybe 10, but equally songs still don't sound that great when you're only at 80%, but I was so encouraged by the progress. I think that could be our answer. Like the problem I've got at the moment is we've got like a little ban when we're on Scotland camp and I'm like actively not allowed to sing. There's like two key members. I'd say like J-Max and Annabelle are the main singers. Yeah. But anytime Rona will try and join them, they'll look at her and be like, Rona, you need to stop. <laughs> yeah, they're honestly like... <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't tune myself with your voice. <laughs> But see, the thing is, and this is the, one of the biggest lessons I learned, Rona, is that it wasn't that I was a bad singer. I was just choosing the wrong songs. So both Layla and I were really surprised. One, and again, I'm not going to do it. I'm actually a decent rapper. Um, but two, we started just for fun singing um, uh, some Alanis Morissette. And we were both shocked at my ability to, you know, really channel just that psychotic Oh, I don't know if I can say it. Like psycho bitch thing. I'm sorry if you're gonna have to bleep that out. I'm giving you extra yeah. work. Oh, I love it. But, <laughs> she was shy. She's like, you know, I really had you pegged as Disney, and I thought so as well. But I'm like, no, nailed it. So Rona, you were just singing the wrong songs. I reckon we should get some like Tom Jones out for you, Rona. I thought Wonderwall was like my <laughs> my vocal range. <laughs> no, I love yeah. it. I think it's so cool that you just like learned to sing. But come on, this is like Phoebe from Friends. Remember when she had a cold? Yeah. Her like deep, sexy voice? Rona, that's you. <laughs> I could probably sing Smelly Cat to Phoebe. <laughs> <laughs> so this brings us on quite nicely to our final section of the pod, which is Juicy Cues. So we ask all of our guests five quick fire questions at the end of, end of each episode. Rona, you take it away. Sweet. So question one. Would you rather play all of the instruments or speak all of the languages? Oh, speak all the languages. Oh, that's got quite a few votes recently. Steph can already sing. Doesn't need to learn oh, to do that one. True. That's so true. <laughs> and languages has a universal thing, doesn't it? I agree with that one. Yeah. Okay, question two. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, um... <laughs> oh, gosh, I actually don't know. This is such a hard one. Do you know what I would? Well, I I usually want to say I would love to read people's minds, and I think mm, I might not want to do that. <laughs> yeah, we're both too sensitive for that. I think I was on such a strong starting point, and now I really dipped, haven't I? <laughs> Let's try the next question. Next question. <laughs> okay, question three: If you were on the Great British Bake Off, what would your speciality be? I've been baking a lot lately. Um, I've gotten much better at bread, not sourdough bread. Still terrible at that, but. Oh, beyond it uh, my favorite thing actually would be french patisserie i just i love precision i love measuring things um and i love little tiny cakes oh i love it <laughs> okay if you weren't um being a long jumper or playing rugby what sport would you want to do 
you know, I have always adored figure skating. I just, I mean, as someone who, I mean, granted, I grew up in Canada, I can skate a little bit, but I mean, just to be able to spin like that on ice in the air, I think is extraordinary. And that's got the like performance thing as well. Yes, exactly. Um, it, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a tough sport in that, you know, I kind of look at it and I just think, oh, I just love um, the objectivity of athletics, you know, how fast, how far, how many, how many tries did you make? Um, you know, it's clear. And then, uh, yeah, figure skating is like this, this blend of, you know, art and, and sport. And question number five, what is your star sign? Oh, uh, Scorpio. I'm like, I don't know. Scorpio. <laughs> I was like, oh no, this might be the first time we don't actually know. Oh no. <laughs> I, I do. I, I had my phone. I'm like, oh, I'll just look it up really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scorpio. Don't know if you've had any Scorpios. Yeah, which means if we haven't had a Scorpio, then we don't know about Scorpios. So then we just like, oh, I know, I know yeah. nothing about Scorpios. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> That ends That's it that. on then. Thank you. <laughs> do you guys read? Do you guys read your horoscopes? We love it. Yeah. Oh, we do. do you? Oh, okay. So am I missing out? <laughs> so, um, was it accurate for your week this week? To be fair, oh. I don't read my weekly. We just base our personalities on <laughs> what our star sign personalities are. Our personalities and our love matches on whether our star signs match up with them. Not compatible. Oh, so actually, <laughs> did, did you guys research them before the podcast? Ooh, are we compatible in terms of our star signs? Oh, actually, I don't know. I I think we can be pals. I don't know. That's actually a good one. I don't know if they do pal compatibility. Otherwise, friendship terminated. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Steph. That was so much fun. Oh, no, it was Rise up, rise up, take the stage, play your game, don't be afraid. You don't work your fire, Earth Jones of Art, always be proud of who.